0: Welcome to another episode of Make Your Stuff. I'm your host, Kyle F. Andrews. And if you have ever thought about dabbling in the world of indie filmmaking, well then, this is the show for you. My guest this week is writer-director Jessica Ellis. Now, if you've been anywhere near screenwriter Twitter in the past few years, number one, wash your hands. uh, And number two, you've probably run into our baddest mamma jamma. That is her Twitter handle, by the way. What you may not know is that Jessica is both a UCLA and AFI graduate. With her writing partner, Nick Sinnott, Jessica's feature High Iron was a recent Nickel Top 50 script. She made her feature writing and directing debut with What Lies West, a coming-of-age story about a new college graduate who takes a summer job babysitting a sheltered teen. And the two must overcome a wide personality gap to take on a daring summer adventure that could fulfill both their biggest dreams. I saw What Lies West, and I absolutely loved it. It is such a wonderful, heartwarming film. The Two actresses are incredible in their performances, and Jessica really shows her muscle. Uh, I've always known that she's a wonderful writer, but I've been privileged enough to read Jessica's work, uh, as we'll talk about. Her directing in this is right on par with the incredible writing she does. If What Lies West is evidence of what Jessica has in store for us, we are all in for a real treat. This interview is pretty awesome, if I can use that term. It is full of awe. This is one of those interviews where I know I learned something about the industry. And Jessica's delivery of this information that is just so essential for anyone who thinks that they could write a script that can turn into a small, independent film that if people see, they will fall in love with. And thus fall in love with you and the art that you do. So I think this is probably one of the most essential conversations I've had since I started this podcast. I know it's number four. This one, for anyone trying to get into indie film, this is the one to really start taking notes from. Here is my interview with Jessica. Well, Jessica, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to
0: you. Me too. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've wanted to talk to you in this capacity for some time. You know, indie filmmaker to indie filmmaker, I really appreciate somebody who can have an idea and see it all the way to fruition. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit like that. You had a movie a few years ago called What Lies West. Anybody who saw it, I know was touched by it. I personally was touched by it. I'm just going to read the synopsis real quick. Uh, when a new college graduate Nicolette takes a summer job babysitting the sheltered teen Chloe, the two must overcome a wide personality gap to take on a daring summer adventure that could fulfill both their biggest dreams. So speaking of biggest dreams, how did this uh, process work for you? Did, was it everything you expected it to be?
1: Uh, it was it was far more than I expected it to be. It was um, it, it took several years and uh, a couple of surgeries and uh, you know a, a lot of work that I didn't even know I was signing up to be in charge of when I when I uh, kind of boldly decided one day like we're gonna just do it we're gonna make a movie. Um, but it was an amazing process. I mean, my—I think we shot in total 17 days, and I would say those are among the happiest days of my life. With all of the chaos they involved, I—I I found that I absolutely adored being on set as a director and and loved the atmosphere much more than my prior experiences being dragged onto sets to like do catering in, in grad school as a writer because they had nothing for you to do on set and the director didn't want your opinion. So, uh, we were we were doing crafty. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was definitely the defining experience of of that decade for me.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I love the fact that you were, <laughs> as a caterer myself, it's like, how much of that work can you do before you get to experience your own creativity on set? But this was your first, I know it wasn't your first time writing, because I've, I've read your work before. I love your writing. But this was your first time directing.
1: Yeah, this was my, uh, I had directed a couple of plays when I was at community college. And, and I enjoyed that, but I was always afraid it would turn me into a monster, um, especially because once <laughs> I got to AFI as a writer, I saw the directors in that program. Who tended to be, you know, twenty four year old guy, white guys out of right out of film school. Um, So
0: auteurs, I believe they're called.
1: Yes, and the school (laughs) was very indulgent of that perspective in a lot of ways that I thought was not healthy. So I kind of thought, yeah, this is not. I don't want to be that person. But I finally had a script that felt very personal and very like I was the only person who could tell the story with these actors and and where it was set. So it felt like, eh. Why not? <laughs> what else am I doing with my life? Sitting around doing day jobs in LA? What? Why not?
0: It's great that you got that out there because I think putting together an indie film really does show you what you're capable of in a way that you can't really see when you're sitting down just saying, how is this scene going to play out? L- let me break it down in a few different sections. So first comes the writing. How long was the gestation period for this piece? And then how many drafts did you go through? And when did you decide that you were like, okay, this is ready to be made?
1: Well, in this case, first didn't come the writing. First came me impulsively declaring, like, we don't have anything on the schedule this summer to my husband, who's a a DP and was one of the producers of the movie. Like, we're going to make a movie. Like, we can get the money together. Like, we're going to make a, we're going to do it. In like, this was in like, I think April. (laughs) And we shot in August. Oh, wow. So (laughs) first came the, we're going to do this. Now let's see what resources we have and what I can write around it. So then I spent pretty much April to i would say i was done with the script by the end of june um you know this this wasn't my first script this wasn't my 10th script so it it was a situation where the the thing i knew i could rely on was i can build a reasonably logical story with character journeys that work and i trust myself to be able to handle that part Mm -hmm. so the the writing process was um easier than than it is for most specs. I knew where I was shooting, because we were planning to shoot it in my hometown in Sonoma County. Um, I knew the two lead actresses I precast, because um, I really wanted to work with both of them on screen. And with those parameters, it, it then just became like, all right, what can we tell? What do we have the money to tell? You know, when you're when you're doing a micro-budget film, um, it's all got to be about emotional stakes, because you know, it's, it's an outdoor movie about hiking. I can't have a bear attack them. I can't have anybody (laughs) fall in a river. Like I can't, you know, so it's, it's gotta be emotional stakes and that that's easy to write for me. Yeah.
0: As much as I maybe would have enjoyed the bear scene. I don't think you missed out not having that in there for sure. The bears are
1: so expensive. They were, they were all booked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You got to find a bear who's just starting out. and that Yeah. One one that hasn't
1: broken big yet. Yeah.
0: then, Then you're starting with a cub. So you're a really confident writer and clearly the script, came from a point of confidence for you if you can write so quickly did that confidence find its way into the project as you took over the director's chair
1: i mean it had to like if you're going to be at the helm of this whole thing and you're going to be asking people to put their their money and their lives on the line and their their time to help you like you better look like you know what you're doing
0: Mm.
1: um so you know there was never a question that it was going to get done i had no control over whether it was going to be good (laughs) you know that that's that's up to the audience but i knew i could get it done and so my confidence extended to that far but quality is is subjective (laughs) and so i never was walking around being like this is the greatest script and the greatest project in the world but i i think what was important in getting people on board and and what drew people to work with me was I was very clear on what the themes were and what we were talking about and the audience that the movie was for. And so we were able to draw from people who were interested in those subjects.
0: Mm, So I really like what you said about being able to control the story, but not being able to control the context, you know, the weather or anything like that. You know, it's an indie film. We are limited by uh, not imagination, but limited by the resources to put that imagination into reality. How did you find a balance between the needs that you knew you had for the story and what you were able to accomplish on what I assume was a limited budget
1: it's actually fun for me to take situations in which you have extreme limitations and know that you have to get it done anyway like because then you don't spend time second guessing yourself you don't have time so mm. you know if it's raining someday you have to figure out a solution in our case we ended up shooting the movie in in three sections two like main week-long sections and then a three-day pickup and those got screwed around with time and because I had heart surgery after the first section so the second section ended up getting pushed quite a bit and then in the middle of that um, wildfires hit where we had filmed all the exteriors and so when we went back to do a couple reshoots suddenly you know places that had looked like verdant edens before now looked like uh mordor and it was scared there was there's a shot in the movie that's a reshoot where everything was when the girls are fighting over the cell phone in the forest mm. everything in front of them is fine. It's this beautiful forest called Sugarloaf Ridge everything behind them looked like a volcano had gone off the whole the it had burned literally down to the trail that we used so we could never flip around we could only shoot them from one direction um, in our reshoot you have to make things work so you you just go with your gut instinct on on survival and honestly i think that's where a lot of your artistic voice come from and so much of what we do is separate ourselves from our creative instincts and second guess them and try to over educate ourselves out out of them. But when you're put on the line in an indie film, that's all you've got to rely on. And I think who you are as an artist really comes out in those moments when you have no choice and no money.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, they say uh, in necessity is the mother of invention. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and it, it sounds like, though, you were able to, man, it's really impressive how you were able to cope with personal trauma of having heart surgery, cope with world's trauma with the wildfires, and still create a project that feels very grounded, authentic authentic intimate and ultimately hopeful towards the end was this a a place for you to find solace or was it just like sticking your head down and going forward because you had no other choice or like a bit of both
1: um coming back after the the heart the heart surgery which was not it wasn't an expected thing it was it it was an emergency thing they found a Hmm. congenital defect and suddenly were like you're in surgery tomorrow The thing is is life is an integrated experience you you know the the things you're doing in your art reflect the things you're doing in your life and and i was lucky that i was telling a story about how to expand your capacity and how to learn to take on things you're not sure you're able to handle um and i got to (laughs) go through that both with the movie and with the heart surgery so when i came back for the second half i honestly felt much more confident because i mean set days can be exhausting and tough but they're they're not heart surgery. So so I felt like well, this is not this is not going to slow me down. I can do this for sure now.
0: So there's a little cliche of, oh, well, it's not heart surgery, but like literally you were going through heart surgery at the time. So you could put a personal spin on that. I think that's incredibly inspiring the way you were also able to take the experience that you were going through and by integrating your creativity and the personal, you were still able to, it feels like have a positive outcome from it.
1: Tremendously. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, it was, like I said, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I mean, Trauma doesn't give you a lot of choices, but you always have the choice to be like, how can this feed into my work instead of detracting from it? And luckily, this was a situation where I could find a way to make that equation work.
0: Mm. Well, let me ask you how the work was on set. You worked with two young actresses, Nicolette Ellis, very familiar last name, and then Chloe Moore. In particular, you know, Chloe at the time was a teenager. When you're working with an artist of that age, how do you help them navigate the challenges of a character while, you know, respecting their boundaries as they're developing as a person? And while also, I guess, there are the outside forces kind of impinging themselves on the production?
1: Uh, You know, both of the actresses are my nieces, so I had the advantage of having known them forever. Um, But also being fascinated by them as actresses, they had both done stage work and and I I had seen them and knew they were were both spectacular. Um, With Chloe, my goal, a lot of the work I did was built into the script. Um, I spent a lot more time in the script than I normally do in my writing, uh, giving tells to the character's emotional state giving a, a little bit of editorializing in the like action lines of like what they were thinking and what they were processing just to help put her on the road. But she's also a, a great actor and a very insightful young person, even at, at 16, which she was when we we started shooting. So mostly it was casting her in a role that I knew was not gonna push past what she was capable of and and would bring out what she's naturally great at. And so a lot of it was, you know, in the pre-production process of actually writing the script and then and then just trying to be mostly hands off when we were acting, you know, answering questions for her and 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 trying to bolster her confidence because it was her first time on a movie set. It was Nicolette's first time on a movie set, but trusting, giving them the trust to be professional, I think instilled a lot of confidence in them that they could do it. They knew that I wasn't insecure that they would screw up or be immature or something like that and so they they both took that responsibility very seriously
0: so there was a lot of trust between you and your actors there was a-
1: en- enormously yeah i i mean and there was so much trust they had to put in me like i i was in such a position to make them look stupid like and to embarrass them in a film that's going to exist forever they they had to put tremendous faith in me too and and we're lucky that the three of us already had that kind of relationship
0: and has what you learned on the set, being a first-time director with this, working directly with actors in that way, has it changed or adjusted the way you approach writing characters in a screenplay? Or is it just more of the same that you were already going with?
1: To some extent. I mean, it was a very singular situation. It was very separate from most of the stuff I write. I tend to write big world genre mm-hmm. scripts. So so this was a whole different set of muscles that I I had to develop. But you know, I really enjoyed the practice working with actors. I started out as an actor, so I know how I wanted directors to talk to me and relate to me and and what was frustrating. So I'm hopeful I was able to bring that to my actors and, and be there for them in ways that were useful in their language.
0: I actually think that's one of the best things that a director can do is have that acting experience because it's different when you're an outsider trying to adjust, okay, what are you doing? But having the experience of trying to step into a role and seeing through the eyes of an actor, that's where I think the distinction is between good visionaries and great directors.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think it's critical for writers as mm-hmm. as well. I, I think if you are not familiar with how words come out of people's mouths um you have no business trying to write for them it's it's definitely something i encourage other writers to do is is take a couple acting classes at least
0: did you have a table read before you went to shoot with us no
1: not not all at once um the way the movie was shot we had just the two girl actors we hadn't even cast the rest mm. of the movie and a couple of extras for the first segment so it was just the two of them uh, and then we didn't cast the rest of the film. We cast Chloe's mom and Nicolette's family in our second segment. And then we didn't cast like Nicolette's boyfriend until our we squeezed his scenes into our reshoot section so at no time was our cast ever in one room
0: Mm, that's really interesting to hear it going kind of on the fly you have a a plan that you're putting together but you're also kind of going on the fly with what you have available let me ask you because you have to finance all of this stuff do you think you know a a lot of writers and and potential directors who are listening to this might be like well it's all well and good to make the story that i want to make and like have the idea that i want going out there but actually finding the money and the resources where I can make this happen. Does financing an independent film make sense? And is it something that you would encourage more people to try to do?
1: Uh no.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fine. Well, I mean it, it makes sense if you're prepared to lose all of your money. Mm. Mm-hmm. It is it is it, unless you can cast a bankable actor and some people have access to that. I didn't or and you can finance a SAG production your movie is likely to be a released on streaming networks and b almost get immediately buried in the algorithm it's very very hard to break through you know people look at like coda and something like that that had several notable actors in it and that's kind of the vision of what a successful indie is these days is as great as that movie is like you you have to you've got to pack in some stars for anybody to have any confidence in it. And that's the kind of movie that now gets into Sundance. It's it's very rarely now the movies with nobody casts and tiny budgets and 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 nowhere that is really a risk for everybody involved. So financially like I, I'm never gonna make a profit on this movie. I'm never gonna make my money back on this movie. But I don't know. If you can scrounge together the resources and accept that what you're buying is an education and exposure for yourself and your team, then it's worth it. But you're not gonna be walking away with Millions in the bank or hundreds in the bank.
0: <laughs> so it's not about expenditures. It's about experience, basically.
1: And unfortunately, yeah, I wish I wish there was a platform to make indie <laughs> films profitable. There are so many amazing small indies with no one you've ever heard of in them. Um, but so far, no part of Hollywood is interested in that.
0: Yeah, one day they'll figure that out. Unfortunately, they're still spending time throwing money at famous people uh, and trying to see if that'll work. I love hearing about this because as an independent filmmaker, it is kind of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps in that old American way. But like, as you said, that's not necessarily what the American public is wanting to or really even have access to see versus, you know, like you said earlier, you do write big budget scripts. I mean, you wrote, I read that Western, uh, I don't want to talk too much about it. I don't want to spoil anything, but I read that Western train uh, piece. And it was one of my favorite scripts I've ever read. Oh, so thank you. you're a fantastic writer. And when you let your imagination go, I can see you're not afraid to shoot the moon because budget be damned, your stories are good enough that I think people, once they get attached to it, will commit the sorts of resources. But let me ask you, would you rather write for what can be made or would you rather write for your dream and find the way to make people see the value in that?
1: <laughs> By what can be made, do you mean what I think I will, I can sell or what- Yeah. Do
0: you adjust your script based on whether or not it's feasible to get the certain amount of money for it? Or are you saying, you know what, I'm going to make the movie I want to make and somebody will find the value in it eventually. I,
1: I find my writing partner and I have argued about this for several years. The few times we've tried to write to the market or what we predict the market will be or what somebody tells us the market is looking for, uh, by the time we're done, the market's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a movie set on the International Space Station that everybody was telling us, everybody's looking for space scripts, that people like this, it was a contained tight thriller, like it was exactly what was selling. And when we were done with it, five or six months later, every studio in town had a movie like that already. And no one, (laughs) no one was interested. Um, so at that point, it's just kind of like, you know, you can be sensible about things. You try generally not to write a $200 million Michael Bay movie. Um, but you have to write the stories that you're drawn to, because those are what are going to get you the most attention and bring you things like rewrite opportunities and OWAs and and things like that, because that's what you're going to write the best. And you can't predict the market. You can guess, but if you throw yourself into writing a story you're not in love with just because you think it'll sell, it probably will not sell.
0: I think that's really good for people to hear because, you know, how much of your own creativity comes in, that's really what people want to buy. They want to buy the artist. They don't necessarily want to buy the art immediately. When it comes to, and this is something I like to talk to all of my guests about, because it's important to take the stigma of rejection away from the artist. There is nothing wrong with being rejected. There is nothing wrong with feeling like you failed. How do you deal with moments where it feels like you failed or been rejected?
1: Um, I feel like garbage for about a day. Like I, that, I I give myself a a real time limit. You know, with my last few specs with our our brilliant managers at Eight Three One, they send us the spreadsheet of everywhere they've sent our script and they update it. So we see, you know, pass, 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 like a thousand times. And after going through that a few times, you're really like, eh. <laughs> It's not me like it's uh, this is i don't know what these people are looking for but yeah my writer writing partner and i try to take turns having mental breakdowns um it's, it's very valuable to have somebody that you can be like okay today is my day where i'm gonna be miserable and like you're gonna be okay and then tomorrow you can be miserable and we can trade when we do it at the same time it's not great but we try to alternate um no, that's what yeah. partnerships
0: are about carrying the load together
1: uh, and yeah, it's so helpful to always have somebody that I can go to and just be like, I'm terrible, no one will ever or whatever, and, and he is in the weeds with me and, and will understand it on a different level than just like an, a friend on the outside who's like, no, you're great. Yeah, just I just try to set a time limit. Be as depressed as you want for 24 hours, and then get back to work.
0: I love that idea. It, does it make its way into your creative routine at all? What is it like when you want to be creative? Do you have a set pattern that you follow, or is it just like you wake up and whatever the day brings is how you're going to react?
1: Yeah, I'm not a write every day person. I, I've I've tried, and it's it's never worked for me. But I, I mean, I'm a pretty proactive writer. Like, there's never a time where there's not three or four different projects in different stages in in my life. And when I have an idea that I'm really solid on, like I will write from sunup to sundown Hmm. until it's done. I I really am, I'm able to stick to writing schedules and deadlines and, 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 and all of that. But I take advantage of fallow periods where I'm not writing. I think those are, to some writers like me, I think those are very important to have times when you're thinking and you're reading and you're out experiencing the world as much as one can during COVID. Um, And those are as key to how your writing turns out as the actual typey typing.
0: Is there anything that you hold precious in the work that you do? Or is it all something that you are able to modulate, moderate, adjust when the time calls for it?
1: I just have to know what I'm trying to talk about. I I I'm to to my detriment at times. I'm a theme writer, which doesn't mean that I want to like preach a message to people necessarily, but I have to understand what is meaningful to me about a story and what I am trying to say with it or I can't get anywhere. And and I have problems sometimes on assignments, you know, um and rewrite stuff. It's like if this story doesn't mean anything to me, I can mechanically get the work done. I have the muscles to to write and and get it on an intellectual level, but what What is precious to me is when I actually have an emotional stake in what the story is about.
0: I feel like that can give you a perspective on the kind of content you want to make, even though, as I've seen from you, a small drama and a huge Western, the genre doesn't necessarily have to be the same every time. Do you find that your creativity works best when you're trying a new thing, a new genre, or do you try to follow the same set pattern when you approach a new piece?
1: I'm kind of genre agnostic. You know, I, I love stories in so many different genres and areas. I, I've never tried to limit myself by by the type of story I'm allowed to tell, as long as it's got like a core journey and, and core idea in it that I love i find that i do best and i think you can see some of this in what lies west as well as something like the big western in stories where the world is vivid whatever that world is if it's outer space if it's the old west if it's a tiny town that you know these two girls are trying to hike through like stories where the setting influences the actual narrative are really important to me and that can take form as big world building which is a lot of fun Mm -hmm. um but it can also just be you know a story set I'm when I made a movie, I made a movie set in my hometown because I know that setting and I know what it means to me and I knew where to shoot to make the scenes more effective in different ways. So I, I think setting is more important to me than genre.
0: I think that's really interesting to hear. Because I think a lot of people want to make, you know, especially when you're writing, oh, well, I've got these great characters. I've got this um, great theme I'm going for. I know exactly what I want to say. Okay, so what's the world? Well, I haven't thought about the world, but the world is the context in which everything is going to happen. It's the given circumstances for the actor. It's the engine that sort of drives the story where it's going. Uh, when you're working on a piece for somebody else, an OWA or something like that, how do you maintain your own point of view while also getting to the point where that the producer producers will be happy with.
1: That's a balance I'm still learning to strike. I've only mm-hmm. done that a couple of times um, and, and my <laughs> you know, especially when you're getting paid, when somebody's finally paying you, like your impulse is to be like, I'll do whatever you want. I, I have no personal stake. I'm a writer for hire, it's your ideas, whatever. But I do find that you can't help a little bit of yourself from getting on the page. It's it's hard to write completely in a persona that's that's not yours. Um, We did a, Nick and I, my writing partner and I did a rewrite uh, on a like a black comedy a couple of years ago and it wasn't exactly our our perfect fit of a story but we couldn't help really indulging in the dark comedy of it and bringing some of our instincts and our nature especially for jokes in into the story because you're your perspective you can't get away from who you are your perspective is always going to color your writing uh, maybe some people can't but i so far have not been able to turn into a faceless ride for hire writer mm-hmm. entirely even when i'm trying
0: <laughs> i think that's okay though because i think your voice is one that we, we should hear and i especially want to i mean if you've got a dark comedy coming up just like throw that at me i will ingest that with a plum. I, I, I i'll tell
1: you secretly i don't think i'm allowed to <laughs> we're, we're not credited so i don't think i'm allowed to actually say
0: it. <laughs> okay fine fine i guess I guess somebody will get the benefit. Of yeah, <laughs> of your, I'll take your credited and, and
1: not credited and paid over the other way around.
0: Is that true? Would you rather? Does it? Does that uh, change depending on how you see your own success? Whether or not you want to work uh, for hire on somebody else's thing or not necessarily get paid for a project that you want to get done?
1: You know, I certainly didn't get paid for for what lies west. I paid for the experience, and I, you know, I would love to do that all the time if I had the resources to do that. But the reality of living in Los Angeles and living in The world right now is that rent is going up Mm -hmm. double digits food prices are going up like i i work as a coverage analyst and and i enjoy that job but like if i can get paid to write oh my god so much easier give me give me that any day over over a, a day job that is a little less soulful and and credit on a lot of things.
0: I feel that, and I I think one of the things that you have to manage in this field, besides your finances, is your mental health as an artist. Nothing gets in the way of creating art more than an inability to manage the emotions that are swirling around it. So how do you maintain your mental health as an artist in this industry, regardless of if you're working for yourself or you're working for somebody else?
1: It's difficult. It's funny. I'm finally, after 20 years of people telling me to read it, sitting down and reading um, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, uh, which is a great book on writing that mostly has to do with how to write when you're crazy (laughs) which is a condition that i didn't realize i was not the only one experiencing i assumed that was my little private problem but now i'm starting to think that is common to all of us um i i suffer from a pretty severe anxiety disorder and therapy is something is a tool in my life that that helps me manage both professionally and, and and personally just cognitive behavioral therapy and the occasional xanax um but you know again like even your your mental distress your mental state is a part of who you are as an artist which is not to glorify you know the the Hemingways and the the, the people that have done this while having no support and, and being in really deep water mentally but I think the the things you struggle with can teach you a great deal of empathy, and that always makes you a better writer. So even when my mental health is not the best, which it often isn't, like it it still feeds in to the big creative fire in, in a way. So I don't see having severe mental stress or or even a disorder like I do as being a hindrance to my writer. It's just a part of who I am as a writer. Mm.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, in, in acting training, there's a lot of actors, and I know I was one when I was younger, who look at the stage, look at um, the acting experience, and say, that's my therapy. And it's really tough to work out your own emotional stuff in the context of a big ensemble thing, people all working together on something. I usually say, art is therapeutic, but only therapy is therapy.
1: Yes, I would agree. Oh my God. I mean, can you imagine a production of The Music Man where everybody is using <laughs> this for therapy? It's, 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 <laughs> going shapoopy we'll have the audience in tears
0: like it, <laughs> for, it, for different reasons
1: <laughs> It's i don't know so much of i have found that my own journey to understanding myself as a god this is pretentious um is understanding that my job is not to be perfect my job is to be fully realized as me and in me that includes a lot of anxiety and occasional bouts of depression and and you know lots of other flaws the goal is not to eliminate all of those issues the goal is to be able to work with them and have that be a part of who you are as an artist, at least for
0: me. I think that's really well put. Let me ask you uh, about what you're doing now to break in. Do you feel like you have, you know, we've been stuck in a global pandemic. I don't know if you heard for a couple of years now. The industry has seemed to change, but I don't know always if it's changed for the good, for the bad, or if it's just different. Are you finding that you are having more access to the industry, less access? Are your projects getting off more? Are you getting hired more? Where has your career come in the three years since you've made What Lies West?
1: Well, it only came out last year um so you know i i'm still hoping to bear fruit from that but honestly it it, it hasn't it hasn't been it's been a part of where what has extended my access into the industry but my presence on twitter has really been the the key that's opened a lot of doors it got me into contact with someone who got me into contact with my manager and you know it it was the way we raised money to make the film in in the first place the industry is weird right now i i'm in the midst of i don't know 4000 million generals and like the overwhelming i think i'm hearing from executives is kind of like we don't know quite what we're we don't know we don't know what we're doing right right now now, like we're definitely looking for these 19 things and it's like no you're but you're not buying those like what are you so I think everything is crazy right now. Zoom has definitely made meetings and accessibility easier, especially if you're not in LA, if you can still manage to get repped, man, you can meet with anybody in the world now. Thank God for Zoom. Yeah, it's it's just weird out there right now. I think everybody is very confused and trying to look very confident and, and nobody knows what's going on.
0: I think the thing I most hear from executives and producers is nobody knows anything. Yep. Um, even though I think that that is maybe ignoring some things, that they do know, which is, you know, that streaming is not going anywhere, that television is a different game than it was even just five years ago, that commercials even have have changed. They're no longer union projects. So I think the whole industry is undergoing a shift. Getting back to Twitter for a second. So you have a huge following there, but you're also someone who I can see uses it sort of as community. You know, it's interesting as an actor, our community is, you know, I'm actor, writer, producer, director, not director. Where did that come from? Um <laughs> (laughs)
1: Oh, Uh, maybe that'll
0: be the next thing. That was Freud (laughs) reaching out
1: of your being.
0: Oh my God, Freud, get back in there. Uh, So in that context, like as an actor, we go to auditions and see everybody. We go to class and see everybody. We're always, oh, uh, somebody's coming in from headshots and going out. Oh, I see you. With writers, you don't get any of that. You have to force yourself to meet up at a coffee shop. Is there a way that Twitter is maybe the stand in for the community of screenwriters now in a good way or just a way?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think in a in a mostly good way. There's there's definitely some some very toxic aspects of it, and you can do a lot of damage um, to yourself if you're if you're stupid on Twitter, but. <laughs> um, but I I, th- I think it's been tremendously advantageous. You know, I I graduated from grad school in, in 2010 and had a few friends from there and a bit of a community from there, but none of us were established yet. And it was so opaque. I, I had no idea how to go about breaking into the industry. And, and unfortunately, grad school didn't really focus on that which i wish they had but that's a whole other thing mm. um you know twitter which i got on i think 2014 was when i started using it fairly regularly suddenly i was you know I mean, eric heiserer gave me notes on an early project just because i talked to him a few times and asked him if i could send him something and like i, I had contact with tv writers that i'd loved for decades you know it leveled the playing field in so many significant ways for especially for writers and i mean i think i'm not the best at at social interaction um i am not the most likable person i've been told in person but for me as a writer having a medium in which i'm i'm better and and can communicate more clearly my thoughts and intentions was a huge bonus for me It, it should be the medium in which writers communicate the most easily so i i yell at any young writer who ever asks me a question like why are you not on twitter get on twitter like meet People talk to people, it's, it can open so many doors.
0: I couldn't agree with you more strongly on that. And I just want to say personally, like I love watching your interactions on Twitter. I think your approach is just and fair. And I think that is honestly because you do want to be friendly and you do want to be mindful about how you're interacting with someone. But you also don't. It's very easy to get condescending on Twitter. And, you know, when you get condescended to so often, and I'm sure, you know, as a woman, I don't need to explain any of that to you. um, Speaking of explaining, but like watching you modulate how you approach someone to make sure that it doesn't spiral out of control is actually really interesting. And I think more people on Twitter could use an experience like that to grow themselves. Because like you said, you can get yourself in a lot of real world trouble by acting like a fool on Twitter. So do you feel like there's a a point where you need to get off Twitter and leave that alone and go work on the actual work? Or is it like still a daily thing that people should pursue?
1: I, well, I, I mean, I think everybody is different. I'm on my first long-term Twitter break ever. I've taken all of this month off and, and will stay off till the end of the month, at least just because I was starting to go insane. I, I mean, definitely if it's inhibiting your work, you're spending way too much time on Twitter. It's it's easy because it's very addictive and the little micro dopamine hits are, are, are so charming when people mm-hmm. like things that you say. Uh, it, it's very easy for it to become your entire social sphere, especially during COVID. My God, that turned a pleasant obsession into the only social (laughs) world for a lot of people. And I I think we're going to need to unpack that at some point. Yeah. I I mean, try to use it as as work and and don't spend your entire life on it is where I'm at with it now. See it as a, a part of your job.
0: Those are wise words. And I think a lot of screenwriters, you know, it does kind of stand in for the, oh, well, I'm getting stuff done because I'm networking right now. And it's networking yeah. to a point. I mean, just like you, I, I met my mentor on there. We're working uh, together a lot. But those are special relationships. You're not going to build them with everybody. Um, no,
1: there's way too many people on there. And there's lots of, yeah, there's lots of like easy friendships that never turn into anything. And yeah, it's it's a weird world. We're just figuring out. We're the first humans to ever experience this kind of social act- interaction. Action. It's going to make us crazy in some unique ways.
0: You know, as millennials, we always think that about ourselves, but in this case, it's actually true. It's yeah. actually we are we are the test case for social media, and I think we are. I think we're doing better than people would give us credit for.
1: Yep, yeah, we'll never own houses, but we <laughs> haven't all gone insane yet. So there's that's some good news. Good uh, on us.
0: House. Houses are overrated. You know, everybody's bungalows now. Let's wrap this up with, um, because I think that this has been a really solid conversation, but I want to know what's coming up next for you. Do you have projects coming down the line? Are you just trying to get back into the shop and and get the mojo going? Where are you headed next?
1: Kind of in the middle of a lot of, a lot of things Uh, you know on the on the pro side with my writing partner we're out with a spec and and working on a couple of like open writing assignments and pitches and and stuff like that so lots of things in development as they say um (laughs) when you're not getting paid for anything (laughs) and then personally like i have a script that i want to be my second movie but i cannot do the crowdfunding slash self-funding thing again it is exhausting and i need someone else to give me money this time so trying to learn a new skill in finding people who will give me money.
0: Mm. Well, Jessica, I'm really excited for you because I do believe that you're making an impression on all the right people from what I can see both on Twitter and in how you respond offline. Uh, I'm a huge fan of your work and that'll never change. So if you ever need me to read anything, I'd be happy to.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, you too, Jessica. Thanks much. If you enjoyed this episode of Make Your Stuff and want to support the show, please please click the follow button. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at M-Y-S Podcast. And consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash makeyourstuff. I'm your host, Kyle F. Andrews. My consulting producer is Emily Castro. Our theme song is Keep On Dancing by Monday Hope. Until next time, keep making that stuff.